When I decide I'm going to do something, I very much do it, even though I didn't know why. Of course, so what's next for you, thinking that I'd turn around and be like, oh, I want to be a judge's associate or something ridiculous. And I was like, oh, I want to make rock He was ordering a Big Mac and he had written down on the piece of paper, like, we need to discuss brand DNA. And I was like sitting there and while he was ordering, and I'm like, that's the name. Drained our life savings, basically. Sold out really quickly of the first two. We sold out in less than three months. That branding, everything that you see is so much of us. It's just to make sure that we leave our mark in the best way and you never got to see this. And my grandma always gets a bit emotional about that. In Australia, we're the only traditional rakia company. We actually entered it in the World Spirits competition just to see how we would go. And then we won double gold for both the classic and the gold. And then the gold went on to win best of class at that event. So technically the best rakia in the world. My name is Monique Shtevsky and this is Life, Money and Love. Just quickly before we get started, guys, if you've been enjoying the podcast, can I please ask that you consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing on whatever platform you've been listening. It really helps the podcast grow. All right, look at this beautiful bottle for everyone watching on YouTube. We have Monique Shtevsky in the house, uh, co-founder of DNA Distillery, Sydney's first uh, Rakia Distillery, uh, award-winning already, featured in like... Already you've been around, we're just chatting yesterday, yeah. it was your first birthday, so happy birthday. Thank you so um, much. Already got a bit of attention, obviously, for the brand. You've been featured in Broadsheet, Time Out, SBS, and the Daily Telegraph, so it's already, I can imagine, as soon as, as, soon as you came across uh, me on social media and we started chatting, obviously love, love the brand, everything you're about. As I was saying, a lot of people know I've got a lot of friends from everywhere in the Balkans, but my, one of my best mates in the world is Macedonian, and I've spent almost two weeks in Macedonia, so I'm really... Uh, like I have a lot of love for the culture and it's been surrounding me since, since high school. So um, I'm really excited to talk about the whole journey and everything. Um, but yeah, just thanks for coming in, Mon. Thank you so much for having me. It was really exciting. And when you said that you knew where Maso was, and <laughs> it was a bit of a, I was a bit taken back. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Like, yeah, honestly, I was the only, I was there for, like I said, 10 days. I was the only guy uh, that we, that we saw the whole time that wasn't Macedonian guy or girl. Uh, we were there in Prilep in like one of the full-on villages. So not even like Okrid or anything like that. Um, and we were there when Pivot Fest was on. so like the beer fest, whatever it's yeah. called. Uh, so I had an amazing time. Yeah. But it was just like, it was at the end of a Europe trip. My mate was going there to get some tattoos. Uh, so I went with him and stayed with his family in the villages. Yeah. Um, he was getting tattooed for like three days. So it was just me and like his dad and Baba. They're trying to talk and they speak less English than I speak, even Maso. And yeah. I remember there was one day... Body she told, language would have been everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, we, she cried. I was there for 10 days. His baba full on cried when, when I left. Like, I, I care about her so much. Like, honestly, it was just such a beautiful experience. But he told me a story afterwards, my mate Dave. Um, he said, he was talking to his baba and she said, oh, there was one time, like, I hadn't, so there was like a big property. I was upstairs. They were downstairs. And like, she wanted to offer me food, but she didn't really know how to ask if I was hungry or anything yeah. like that. As you can imagine, um, wanting to make sure I'm well fed. Uh, and she thought she remembered a, a word she knew in English and it was ice cream. So she came up the stairs one day and she just goes, ice cream. And I'm like, yeah, all right. And then she was so happy, but yeah, just yeah. such a beautiful they experience. They just want to take care of you. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think it's a culture shock. Like when they're not able to do that, mm. it's more they feel that pressure and that burden. So yeah. it would have meant the world to her yeah. that you said yes. Where Where are you and your family from in Maso? So um, my dad's from Smilevo, which is yeah. a small village. And my mom's from Bitola, which oh, is yeah. a city. So yeah, yeah, yeah most yeah, people know where Bitola from, is. Yeah, yeah. I think we had one or two night, night out there. Um, 
little yeah. bit more going on there than uh, yeah, Pillar. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like yeah, when yeah. you said that, I was shocked. I actually yeah. like screen recorded it to my cousin. Yeah, I was yeah. like, listen to this. He knows oh, where Pillar is. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's, su it's such a cool experience. And like I remember, and it was obviously as an Australian to go there, your dollar goes so far. I remember I was there for the 10 days. My whole, you know what I spent? And I was just living like a king, as you imagine you do yeah. when you go to Macedonia. I had a two-hour ride from like prelep to 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 the, to the airport in like a Mercedes, and still including that fee, I spent like two hundred AUD. Yeah, so it was just like such an amazing place to be. Um, were you born here? Are you born over there? I was there? born here, so my parents yeah. were born over there, and they came mm. out here and met here. Yeah. and I've basically done it all. So I've lived with my grandparents my whole life. Oh, that's the best. Um, my mum then bought the house next door for her mum who had dementia, so yeah. keeping it close. Mm -hmm. My sister now lives in that house next door. My sister and her husband were living in my dad's house, the first house he ever came to Australia wow. in. And my brother lives down the road. So the we're like, yeah. Where did you guys grow up in, like in Sydney? I grew up in Illawong, which is like mm. Southwest Sydney. Okay. Um, Bankstown basically oh, more than yeah, anything. Yeah. yeah. yeah I grew up in um, Preston, so yeah. not too far. Not too far at all. Well, it's either you're going to be somewhere in the Southwest or if you're Massa, you're going to be in Rockdale. It's yeah, going to be exactly. one of those two areas. <laughs> exactly. Um, I want to talk to you obviously about how how DNA started. Yeah. Um, I know you were a lawyer, but first you studied law, got through all of that. And then yeah. obviously all the lockdowns happened and your plans had to change. But before that, I want to know, obviously such an inspiration for everything you do, but talk to me about how your family and how your like culture has influenced you in your life. Oh, it's everything. Like every decision I make, my mom is the voice in my head yeah. and I hate that, but she definitely is everything that I feel guilty about or a little bit that I've done wrong. But she's also the reason I'm so grateful. My mom has been an intensive care nurse her whole life. So you definitely have that gratitude instilled with you within you from the get-go. But um, yeah, my this whole brand is a dedication to them. Yeah. On the front label is actually my grandpa dancing in the backyard. Really? Yeah. So oh, that's epic. That's in his 30s and he wasn't actually one to dance that much. That photo is pretty special. But um, yeah, the label, a lot of effort went into that and making sure it was an amalgamation of the two cultures because I'm an Australian Macedonian. Like yeah. I was born here, I think in English, yeah. all of that. But yeah, the language is definitely in me and everything that I do. My partner probably hates it. He probably mm -hmm. feels like I'm a little bit too much sometimes. But, <laughs> no, it's it's awesome and it's a tribute to, like, my whole family. That's why the branding is so special. That's why I feel so passionate about it because it's not work. You wake up every day and you just want to tell that story and make sure everyone else can appreciate exactly what you've appreciated your whole yeah. life. And it doesn't come without burdens, but, yeah, it's beautiful and it's a Really special. I was wondering um, that when I was looking at you guys' website, how much of those photos and images are actually old family All photos? Of All of it. Yeah. So that makes it even more special. Everything that's a bit newer is my hands. Like mm -hmm. they're all my hands with different colored nails stuck <laughs> to my fingers. But um, yeah, it's a lot of it's my dad and his first cousin who he was best man at. We went through all the family archives. And when we were going through all those photos, we actually found um, a photo of Dedo Naum, which was the head distiller in five generations ago. And he used to provide the rakia for an entire village, but then all the villages would actually go there. So the idea came first, when you think chicken or the egg, like the idea came first. And then when we started looking through everything, it just kind of kept fueling that fire and making sure that we were telling that narrative the right way, yeah. doing it justice. But yeah, it's awesome. It's a lot of pressure, but it's amazing. Yeah, and, and anyone who's into branding, which there, there will be a lot of people, honestly, I suggest check check out your website and your socials. It's Thanks. done really well. It's really cool. It's such a blend of obviously like what's working in the modern sense, but fused with real culture, real tradition. 
And I just thought, fuck this brand, like you guys have nailed that. And the fact I thought it might've been, but I'm like, maybe some of it is, and it's just inspired. But the fact that these pieces, and you'll see what I mean when you go on these photos and just like, they're not images, they're like captured moments in time. The fact that they're all real, I think it just adds to it even further. Um, but I want to, I want to ask you about, about your family and, and when you told them, or you and James, like you're going to start. You're going to start yeah. the business. How, what was their reaction? So um, we actually, it was something I'd been thinking about for a few months, but hadn't really said anything to anyone. And it was probably one of my brother's birthday around June 2020. We were all just having pizza. Obviously COVID, we could do that because we all live in the same house. <laughs> so we had company during that time, which was nice. But um, yeah, we were all sitting there and it was kind of like, oh, what are we all going to do with our lives? And we've always thought that. And my brother's been massive in that sense because he's always said to me, I've worked retail since I was 18, finished school. And he was, I'd be like, oh, I had a super sale today. Like I made so much money. He's like, you didn't make any money. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks. But um, no, it was really good. And then COVID hit. I did my honours in law and finance. Um, yeah, when I decide I'm going to do something, I very much do it, even though I didn't know why. It was just like, well, I've got the opportunity to do it. Why wouldn't I? And then my cousin took me out to celebrate and we went to Baxter's Inn and we were just like walking down the street. I was heading to work the next day. And um, he was like, oh, so what's next for you? Thinking that I'd turn around and be like, oh, I want to be a judge's associate or something ridiculous. And I was like, oh, I want to make rakia. Really? And he was like, what? And I know it sounds corny, but I genuinely had not said it out loud until that point in time. And I just went, yeah, I want to make rakia. And he was like, that's insane. Like what? This is like five years of it. Yeah. Probably longer if you did a double. Like how I long were you at uni double. studying yeah. for? Five years. Yeah. 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 And you definitely. did all your PLT and stuff. You were doing all an internship, it. Finished right? it. Yeah. So I actually got an internship through the uni and it was like a paid internship so that I could get legal experience. Um, and I was working there at the time, but in the middle of COVID, I didn't qualify for JobKeeper. Everybody else you did because I enough. wasn't there long enough paid on the payroll. Yeah. Um, so I got stood down, which was the biggest blessing in disguise. But um, yeah, and then that was on the Saturday night. The Monday, my cousin called me and he's in his lunch break and he's like, I haven't stopped thinking about this. Yeah. It has to be something that we do and not just something that like we talk about once and nothing ever happens from it. I was like, okay. And I was tutoring at the time. So I've been tutoring since I was 16, started with my little cousin. He had leukemia, kept catching him up at school. And it kind of just grew by word of mouth and was like my hobby. And that and retail was kind of keeping me afloat during COVID, which was great. And then, um, yeah, DNA started. So he picked me up that Monday night at 9.15. He was like, I'll be there at 9.15. You finish at 9. He's very punctual. <laughs> and he had a briefcase and was, like, dressed up in his, like, suit sort of thing, like, dressed nice. And I was in Ugg boots and trackies. <laughs> and I was like, where are we going? And he's like, Macca's. The only thing yeah. open. And I was like, okay. So he was ordering a Big Mac and he had written down on the piece of paper, like, we need to discuss brand DNA. And I was, like, sitting there and while he was ordering. And I'm like, that's the name what do you mean that's the name? I'm like, that's the name, brand, like DNA distillery. I like it. It's alliteration. Like it's going to sound good. He's like, are you sure? Like we don't even know if we're going to have a distillery yet. We had like, we hadn't thought about anything properly. And I was like, yeah, that's the name because it's a part of our DNA. It's our heritage. It's oh, our it's culture. It's everything to do with us. But if you're Turkish, if you're Lebanese, if you're Serbian, Croatian, even if you're Aussie, like we all have moonshine, everyone's got some derivative of it. It's universal. It's part of our DNA. We're cousins, all of it. it like it's perfect. It's the only name that we can have. And he <laughs> so was you like, picked okay. it, you reckon you picked it that first night? 
that was it. Oh, Never went back to it. I've gone on for how long with, with these guys here with Joe were we trying to find a name for this podcast? Like oh when I was doing Happy Skin Co. again with, with, with Georgia, it probably took a month to pick the name. So yeah. I think that's the best way to do it. When something stands out like that and you know from day one. Yeah. The label was it. a complete opposite experience. There was like so many variations. Interviewed everyone. Like it was just over the top. But the name was easy and the easiest decision we probably made. Oh, it's perfect for yeah. everything, the entire story. But it's like... It's not just about your family's culture and tradition. It's everyone can share that and celebrate that. And that's what we wanted to really focus on. Like as much as it's our family photos, the reason it works is because everybody's got family photos like that. Everyone has an understanding of love and passion and tradition. And that's what this is. It's bottled magic. It's that's what we've grown up with. So, yeah. yeah. I want to, I want to rewind a bit because you said you did, you did a law just because you could, which (laughs) was kind of a bit of a reason for I did it. I thought it was the best job you could get. When I was like in school, I didn't know about being an entrepreneur. I didn't know about e-commerce. I didn't know anything about having a business. So it's like, that's why I did it. But what originally attracted you to doing law? Honestly, I wish I had a better answer, but I got the marks for it. A lot of people do that, huh? Yeah. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I'm the kind of person that I will give anything my all. So why not pick something where I feel like I can make a difference? I wasn't going to be a doctor. Like that was a bit much for me. (laughs) I was like, oh, it sounds like a lot of study. Um, There's a lot of stuff in law as well. I know, but it was just worse in my head. But um, yeah, so I picked it because I could and I know that that's crappy. Like my ATAR was really good, did that, got a scholarship then as well, like those sort of things. I'm never one to say no to an opportunity. So yeah, did law. I did enjoy it and I did enjoy the work and like I'm very much study smarter, not harder. Like I didn't do all my readings. I watched the lectures and then I just – did the test based on that. My textbooks were always brand new. Yeah. Like, yeah, so I definitely worked around that. I went to Europe every six-week break if I could, if I had <laughs> saved enough from retail. Like, yeah. So I tried to make the most out of every opportunity. And it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy the customer-facing side, and but it wasn't mine. And billable hours really teaches you the value of a dollar. And I was like, I don't feel comfortable charging someone for every minute of my time. Yeah. Like imagine doing that with a product. It's impossible. So yeah, I just, um, it inspired me in the right way. And I had some really good mentors in the industry. Like some of them still reach out to me now that I worked under and they're amazing. They're so intelligent, great with people. And it's a service-based industry at the end of the day. But I don't think that I was ready to look at it like that. I wasn't ready to be a worker bee. Yeah. It's, it's, it's completely different. Um, but yeah. you mentioned you had some really good mentors from that space. What's What's one of the biggest lessons or takeaways that you've kept from from your time either studying law or practicing for with that internship? You're never going to be the smartest person in the room ever. And if you think you are, then you're in the wrong room. And I know everyone says that, but yeah, like you're never going to know everything and it's okay to not know everything and criticism is welcome. So never take it the wrong way. She was great. She used to like sit me down and go through everything. And I was probably the only intern in the office that would go, could my letter have been better? How could I have written it better? But yeah, I think that's still something I struggle with today because there's no, I'm used to doing a really good assignment and getting a HD or something like that. And you've got something to show for it. Whereas now I'm like, what do I have to show for my day? Like I made Instagram posts all day, yeah. but you have to be proud of that too. And like proud of the overall of what it's going to be. So what, what type of law were you doing before? I hadn't even picked what I was going to specialize in. Yeah. So I was family between family and criminal. Um, There was like one team doing that. And then I was doing some corporate stuff and the corporate stuff was great, but it was a bit 
boring and the yeah. family stuff is really interesting and like I loved the customer facing part of that in terms of, you know, speaking to real people and hearing their story and what they're going through and all of that. But yeah, it probably, it wasn't for me in the long run. Not to say that never, I think my mum always says, but you can't go back to it. You I'm think like, you would yeah. ever practice again? No. You wouldn't? <laughs> no. And it took my parents a while. Like my mum, that night when we came back from Macca's and I was talking to them, I was bouncing off the walls. Like <laughs> there's nothing like that first initial, this is all the things we're going to do and it's all going to happen so quickly and you get so excited. And I was telling them about it and the vision that I could see. And my dad, like I had him, he was roped in and he was like, yeah, definitely. My mum still to this day is like, Unsure. I told her I was coming on the podcast today and I'm like, I'm going to say, you didn't want me to do it. She's like, say, tell them. Yeah. Well, like a lot of, a lot of, um, like first generation, like Australians with European parents, like, or even with like anywhere that's immigrated, they, like the goal is for their like children to go yeah. to university and get a job that yeah, way. Right? It's stability. Like mm. she wanted me to just meet someone, settle down, like put me in a box and be like, you're sorted. I can feel safe about I've, what I've you're going to do. Yeah, exactly. As a parent. Yeah. A hundred percent. But I like always throw it back on her. I'm like, you've done your job as a parent because I think I can do anything. Mm. I'm like, and I'll be fine regardless. And she's like, yeah, true. What do you think gave you that um, belief in yourself that you can do anything? Oh, my family, hundred percent. I'm the youngest by 10 years. So they paved the way for me and I grew up with my grandparents. My grandpa was my best friend. He used to do finder words and get annoyed at me when I was nine years old and I didn't know what the word was because I'm nine and I haven't learned to read that word yet. He'd be like, what do you go to school for? Like, how do you not know that? So definitely my family, like everything that DNA is, is a testament to them. And I'm like so adamant on that. Everyone's like, oh, but the branding, I'm like, the branding's them. Everything's them. I might be the one executing it at the end of the day. But yeah, when you grow up in a family that will be your biggest critics, but also your biggest supporters, then the world's not as scary. Yeah. I think there's something interesting because I grew up with my, uh, my mum and my grandparents for the first six years of my life, about yeah. the first six years. And I'm the same. I just have this b belief in myself that no, I don't really care what anyone else says or thinks. Like I know I don't like whatever I want to do, I truly believe that I can do. And I feel yeah. like so much of that was giving to me because I grew up with my grandparents and, and my mum, but being surrounded by so much love and positivity. Yeah. So it's just interesting to hear. Is there anything like, do you have any moments or do you have a favorite memory with your grandfather uh, that, that stands out that you still think about today? Oh, so many. He actually passed when I was 16. So, and I remember that day vividly, like he was quite unwell and he was on a cancer treatment that was really good. Like it kept him well for a lot longer, but honestly, he would pick me up from school every day. We would argue like <laughs> no one else, like my dad and I are probably more him now take on yeah. that role because yeah, I think we're all a bit too alike. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember when I was young, I probably had my first ever phone and he grabbed it off me and like smashed it on the ground and he was like just mucking around with me and I was like, oh my goodness. But yeah, so much. We would just spend a lot of time together. Mm. Probably actually the standout now that I've thought about it would have been when he found out about his treatment. I just sat with him in his chair and we just held hands and like watched his program and that was it. And mm. yeah, I remember crying a little bit then, but he was the best. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, you don't, you're not, you are obviously sad that they're gone, but when you think about them, it's like, you're just so grateful for what you got to have. I, I had a, Definitely. yeah, I had an amazing, like my grandfather was 21. Well, I, sorry. I was 21. I think, no, I was, I was early twenties. 
But like, it's been like six years now and I still think when I think back, it's even if it makes me cry a little bit, like it brings a tear to my eye. It's always out of happiness and gratitude that I got the time I did, not that I didn't get more. Yeah, definitely. They're like, he was incredible. And I think he never got to see this. And my grandma always gets a bit emotional about that. And she still doesn't understand what I do for work. I'm just home a lot and I'm around Mm. and to do whatever she wants to do. But yeah, it would have been amazing to be able to have that and show him that. And I like, I'm lucky my business partner is my cousin and he's like, he would have been so proud that he's on the bottle in that way. So yeah, it's, I, I don't get sad about him anymore just because I think that he went through a lot and he had a really good long life and yeah. How he, old, how old was he? Like, he was in his eighties. When they came to Australia. Yeah. He would have been in his late twenties, but he had to come out first and then my dad and my grandma and the rest of them had to earn out. enough money to bring him yeah, back over. Exactly. And they went like months without seeing each other years and you know, there's all that trust and that love there and then they just made it work, yeah. which I think is the other thing. Like I never feel there's always a solution. Things always go wrong in business. And my little cousins actually like started a dress hire thing and she was like, oh, nothing's going right. I'm like, yeah, it's good. That's normal. It's, it's part it's of gonna the be process, fine. Right? Yeah. So. And speaking of family, what is it like working with your cousin James, your co-founder? It's good. Um, we definitely like hate each other at times <laughs> as all co-founders do, but it's really good. We're complete equal and opposites. We are yin and yang in that sense. So even though we both come from kind of corporate world and, you know, you wouldn't think that a lawyer is very creative, all that creative side is definitely me and I get to like flex that muscle, which I really love. And yeah, he just, we balance each other out when one of us is a little bit down about something or can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel of a small hurdle, then the other one's able to like pick up the slack and step into that role. I think Doing it on your own, I don't know if I could ever do it on my own. It's really good having someone to lean on just because as much as your family and your partner are understanding, they're not living it. They're not in the trenches with you. Yeah, and even your team and, like, when you have a big team, like, it's not the same. Like, even if they're, like, a well-paid employee at the end of the day, they're never going to be – they're never going to understand that the same way. So I always recommend, like, I'm a big believer and I always prefer whenever I start new businesses, I'd rather have a business partner, if not two – Rather even have two business partners than do it myself. It's just so much more fun. Um, the entire process, like you said, it's one of the best benefits. Someone else is feeling a bit down. The other person brings them up and saying, "Look, no, we need to, yeah. we need to get through this. We need to like smash through." And it. you've just got like it's great because him and I. It's always in the best interest of DNA. So we've got a very clear end goal for what we want this to be and how we want it to look and you know how we want it to feel to people more than anything. And even though we're completely opposite in that way, we always agree on the exact same stuff. So we haven't actually had any real arguments. We argued on the way here because I like returned our bin. I was like, <laughs> it's an ugly bin. I want a better one. And he was yeah. like, why did you return it? I bought it. So if that's the extent of our, you know, backlash between each other, it's good. And how you said, I'm always interested to hear how people divide the roles. How have you guys divided the roles? Like who does what? Um, I'm actually head distiller. So we both distilled together, but we didn't really know who was going to be better at it going into it. And females typically just have a better palate, better sense of smell than men. So we like went through one of our mentors, we went through a test with him and he was like making us try different like gins and rums and things like that. And I remember him asking me to try a particular rum and he was like, what do you think's wrong with it? 
And I was like, oh, it tastes a bit moldy. And I didn't really want to say it. And he was like, yeah, that's 100% right. He's like, it's, you know, gone too far the other way. So when you're distilling, there's like heads, tails and hearts in the middle. And he's like, there's too much tails in it. So you think of like the tails as the fat on a steak. It gives it flavour and it gives it like a bit of a kick in the right way. But if there's too much in it, it ruins it. So he was like teaching us that. And my cousin James was like, I don't know, I couldn't taste anything. Like, what was the difference? Then there was another like rum and I was like, tastes like maple bacon, tastes like a hamburger to me. And he was like, yeah, it's, it's aged in a maple barrel. And I was like, cool. I'm not like making this up in my head, but it's very hard when you're thinking about it. So yeah, we both kind of share that role, but he's very operational and we both oversee everything still because we are still quite small. But um, yeah, it's kind of, I'm more the creative side and where we're going with it, but everything gets run by both of us yeah, anyway. Of course. And how does someone set up their own distillery? Like you said at the start, you weren't sure if you're going to have your own distillery straight away. How does that process work? It's a massive process and everyone in the industry has a completely different process and experience. Um, for us, we were quite lucky. We were able to like scale slowly. So our first batch was quite small. We just wanted to test and see if there was a market for rakia. Nobody's ever, no one's doing it really. Mm. In Australia, we're the only traditional rakia company which is like amazing. There's all this blue ocean, but then with that comes a burden of educating everyone on what is rakia, how can you drink it, what can you liken it to, how do you teach people that this product has so much culture and integrity that's relevant to an Australian mm. like person. So yeah, like that was massive and it just depends. So like licensing and regulation, despite there being all that blue ocean, it's really hard to get through. Like the barrier to entry is huge. So we're still working on that and we've kind of got all our licenses and ducks in a row and we're able to really scale now. Cool. But that's something that you've got to be mindful of and not overspend on marketing or spend on the fun things that you want to do before you're really ready. And I think my cousin James was awesome at that. I was kind of more frustrated. I'm like, but why can't we push? Why can't we push to the next level? And I'm always reading stuff about other entrepreneurs and I'm like, I can't build, you can't build an alcohol business in 12 months the mm -hmm. same way you could anything else especially something that's as unique as this as in like there's not a lot of people doing well, there's no one else doing it properly in australia yeah that's why i was so surprised and that's why i was keen to have you guys on like to me obviously i've been surrounded by it my whole life one of my whole since high school yeah. so i was really surprised that but then i thought yeah of course i haven't seen it that no one's done it properly yeah. like you guys have and then wait oh, we've always had it obviously is like backyard, backyard. Stuff. yeah like, exactly crack it out yeah like, and it didn't always taste the best. Sometimes they got no. it good. Sometimes <laughs> it was like drinking petrol. Um, but they it was don't want to get time. rid of the heads. They want to keep the harshness. They mm. want to keep every little bit of it, which you understand when you realize how expensive produce is. Yeah. But yeah. So there's three different types, right? Yeah. At the moment, Explain we've got three me. different types. So we've got our classic and our gold, which mm. are both from Shiraz. So in its purest form, distilled Shiraz. Australia's got the best Shiraz in the world. We would be silly not to use it. Um, but that Shiraz has to be as free of pesticides and chemicals as anything. So our wine's super organic and we can only really source from orga organic growers to keep it as close to the village set up and what they did in the villages to keep it as like true to form as possible and make sure it's a quality spirit at the end of the day. So that's those two. And then from the gold, we actually flavor it with their little secret recipe. I <laughs> can't tell. Yeah, of course. Um, sworn to secrecy. And then in saying that we um, sold out really quickly of the first two we sold out in less than three months so we launched december 1st last year and then had to like shut our website not shut it down but yeah everything was sold out and we came out with the pair 
just to do something a little bit different. Mm. But it's also Kruschkovats, which is like what the grandmas would typically drink. It's a little bit sweeter, a little bit more fragrant yeah. and all of that. But the goal is to do a plum very soon. We're just looking for plums. So if you know anyone that's got plums. I, d- I don't, but I'll keep my, my <laughs> yeah. eyes and ears open for you. Um, what's the best thing for people that don't know? Because I, I wouldn't know what to say it's like, but obviously I've, I've had heaps of it. Yeah. Um, what would you like for someone that doesn't know or hasn't heard of Varakia, what's the closest yeah. comparison that so, they might have tried? We typically, I'd say it's fragrant like a gin and it's really floral and you can smell the grapes. You can smell it like a wine. It's very aromatic, um, but it's probably got the kick of like a tequila or something like that. It's 40%. So most, you know, bourbons are like 40% vodka, all of it. It sits around there. So it's not flavorless like a vodka. It's more like a gin, but it comes from that produce. It comes from that organic grape, which is really cool. Mm. Yeah. And um, so you've been in business a year and a day. Yeah, technically. You established that, yeah. <laughs> um, what's been your biggest challenge so far? Patience, probably. Patience to understand that not everyone works to the same level as you and you're putting your whole heart into something 24-7 and some people finish an office job at 2 p.m., especially if they're working council and things like that. Um, so patience definitely is a virtue that I'm working on. It's not that I get angry with anyone else, but you just feel that frustration built up in yourself. That was probably my biggest hurdle. But yeah, like I said, having someone else there to kind of bounce off and lean on in those times or to redirect you on the course and go, this is going to happen. Things just take longer sometimes. is good. And does anything stand out as like your hardest day in business so far? Really, nothing really stands out as like super tough, but there's a few weeks where you're like in the lead up to a product launch or in the lead up to an event or something like that, that you just want to go perfectly and, you know, other people don't have that exact same, you've got to do a lot of sucking up as well in a lot of the time to media and things like that. Like, can you please write this article about us? Like we're super cool, (laughs) that sort of thing. So yeah, I think that those small little trials along the way, but there hasn't been anything that I've kind of felt like I'm at breaking point yet. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guaranteeing (laughs) you give it a few more years. There'll be plenty of them. Yeah. There'll be plenty of them. All right. Cause what I want, let's break it down a little bit. Cause a lot of people out there um, will have business ideas or they want to start a business, but they never get from the point of an idea to actually doing it. Yeah. Let's break it down so we can get a bit of an understanding about how the process works. So you thought about it for a little bit. You had the meeting with James. Yeah. How do you then go from the idea to this is an actual launched business? Start picking up the phone and calling people that know more than you. Mm-hmm. 100%. So we basically started calling distilleries around Sydney and seeing if anyone would talk to us and would have a conversation with us. And most of the time, if you're genuine, people can tell within the first like 10 minutes. Um, and I think having a lot of energy and being really passionate about what you're doing is the main thing. If you've got that, you'll be able to get through whatever the trials are that come after that. So yeah, we essentially just started calling and we had someone that reached out back to us and was like, oh, you guys sound amazing. Like I want to know what Rakia is, which is always good when you've got a product that is exciting and people want to know what it is. If they haven't heard about it, you've definitely got an edge. Um, and then he actually connected us to someone that was like a head distiller for like Tanqueray and all those big companies. And, um, yeah, the kind of journey started from there. We had to have a job interview with him to see if he would give us the time of day and talk to us a little bit more and then just keep talking. Like the Australian distilling community is super helpful 
everyone's willing to help each other out. Nobody sees each other as competitors, which is really nice. And most people in business don't. Is you're just more grateful to have someone that you can talk to that knows what you're going through or that can understand. So, yeah, we were very warmly welcomed and we've had some great mentors and family along the way. My dad's the first one to be like, oh, can I start the still? And I'm like, no, <laughs> you can't. But, yeah, definitely just reaching out to the right people or even the wrong people and hoping that they'll lead you to the next best thing, never being afraid of, I guess, a conversation. Because mm. this is a recipe that's been passed down, like you said, from five generations. Did it take long of like testing it with the new distillery equipment? Like how long until you got it to the point that you could launch? So, uh, launch? yeah, James's grandpa on the other side, my business partner and cousin, he actually ran us through a little backyard batch um, it's pretty self-explanatory once you've got all the wine in there and you start distilling it, um, it's all to taste. So knowing what that rakia is supposed to taste like but then taking it to a next level was the most important part and really separating the heads, which is all that ethanol and bad stuff for you that people poison themselves on and the hearts and then having just enough of that fat flavour kind of carrying it through and making sure that it tasted good. We... We weren't sure exactly what we were doing at the start and then, you know, you try it and you share it with your family. There was nights where we were, like, making cocktail recipes at my house. My poor grandma was drunk. She, like, had tried a few too many and she was like, they all taste good. They all taste like juice. I'm like, yeah, that's good. Um, But, yeah, like, just experimenting to no end and then we actually entered it in the World Spirits competition just to see how we would go. And then we won double gold for wow. both the classic and the gold. And then the gold went on to win best of class at that event. So That's epic. technically the best rakia in the world. Wow. Yeah, sitting cool. sitting in the studio right here, <laughs> the best rakia in the world. That's wild. But every grandpa will be the first to yeah, say no, it's, it's not, not as there's good. A, there's, a, there's a hundred, at least in Sydney, best rakias yeah. that I've ever tasted apparently. Um, but is the process difficult from going from that first small batch now as you start to scale up? to keep the quality and the taste the same or is every batch going to be slightly different? Every batch is going to be slightly different just because the grapes are always going to come from a different part of New South Wales or Australia the more we scale. Um, But that's why on our website we've really got that batch log there. We've tried to make it like wine. People understand that each wine season is different. Each duck year is going to be slightly different just based on that initial produce. It's not going to be stock standard, but then that's the beauty of it as well. And, you know, it makes you want to try each batch and make sure and compare and see what it's like. So, yeah, definitely it's always going to be slightly different, but we want to be able to teach that as an educational piece too because each year my grandfather's rakia was slightly different. Yeah. yeah. And um, have you guys been able to do this all, all yourself, self-funded, or did you guys secure investment from anyone yeah, in the distillery so industry? Or? We actually secured a little bit of investment this year, but um, drained our life savings basically mm. for the first year um, in the background. Yeah, just yeah. starting it out. Raki is very capital intensive at one part of the year. So you have to buy all the grapes at once and distill all at once, and then you've got your stock ongoing after that it's stable you can bottle it and keep it but you've got to make sure you've got enough money to be able to buy grapes and exist which is pressure but it's okay it helps you to be good with your money and what you're going to do with your marketing and be strategic in the way you kind of grow that which is great to be able to have family photos that you can just kind of take from (laughs) yeah 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 and what about okay you've got the product sorted your first batch as you said you sold out in three months but talk to me about the other side of the business. How do you market it? How do you ha- like make the first batch a success? How do you sell out? Yeah, so PR basically was our first thing. We kind of put together a really good pitch deck. 
um, based on us and our story and the fact that we've both left our day jobs to pursue this and um, pitched it out everywhere, started restaurants. There's one restaurant that we've got a really great relationship with. They're actually here in Marrickville. Barbara's place, place. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is awesome. Um, and the boys there, we've all kind of grown together in a nice way over the last year. Um, but yeah, just taking it one step at a time and thinking about what's the next phase. Obviously, when you first start, you write down every single possible idea, like I want to make a coffee table book out of the photos, yeah. and I want to do this, and I want to do that. But one day, every, be sick, yeah, yeah, one thing at a time, basically. Mm. So, yeah. Just marketing it through Instagram, Facebook. We made sure our website was immaculate. We actually went to through two website guys because oh, it really? wasn't exactly yeah. what we wanted. And, you know, there's always hiccups along the way. But, yeah, and it's still we want to build it out more, do more with it, looking at your competitors, analysing what they're doing, and then, yeah, influencer marketing and things like that is definitely something on the horizon. But everyone's always shocked when they're yeah. like, you sold out in three months and you didn't do any real yeah. – it was all quite organic, which – I'm grateful for, but puts pressure on and to like, how do you do the next phase? With the PR, that's what everyone's like, oh, like people think you need a big budget to work with the PR agency. No, you just need to come up with your angles. Look at, look, come up with some angles for your brand. Look at similar companies. Uh, look at what they've done. Um, look at the stories getting written and then just go on and research. You can so yeah. easily find who wrote the article yeah, and just get in touch with them. Honestly, yeah. you can do that yourself. And like, there's no excuse not to do that. And if you have a really cool story, or a cool product that's different or it's solving a problem or you have a cool business statistic to point to. Like it's actually not as difficult as you think. Sure, it's going to take time and you might need a little bit of practice at coming up with the ideas. But once you get better at doing that and you're analyzing the market, what sort of stories are getting published by which sort definitely. of um, publishers, and then you build up your connections. It's an amazing tool to, yeah, to promote definitely. and tell your business. And everyone just thinks, I have to just jump into Facebook ads straight away. Yeah, That's the we only haven't thing. done any actually. No ads yet. Yeah, no Facebook what, ads. What I want to ask was, what are the rules with like um, actually really making, uh, first of all, advertising alcohol? What are the rules? Is it obviously there's... They're so different and it's hard because if you're a little guy, you don't get the same leeway as someone like Johnny Walker. Really? Like they can run different Facebook ads. They've got a whole marketing team behind them. We can't even tag our bottles on Instagram. So to launch, like if you've got, you know, a T-shirt, you can tag it to go to your website. We can't yeah. do any of that. So we've actually been really cautious to not get shadow banned and like stuff up our socials. We've been more mindful more than anything and just kind of taken a step back from that and interviewed a few different marketing agencies and kind of expressed that concern. And our first question, because they all want to pitch you, mm. and our first question is always, have you worked with alcohol? Do you know what it's like? How do you make sure that that doesn't happen? And sometimes you catch them out and they're like, oh, I have to have to research that and get back to you. And you're like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, my advice would be be careful when interviewing yeah. the marketing agencies, particularly for the brand at this stage. Um, that it's had like its first wave, first wave of success and you're looking to take the next step. Such a pivotal part. I don't need to tell you. I'm sure you understand, but it's such yeah. a pivotal part. And an agency is never going to care about, care about the it same. the same level that no. you will. Um, so, w yeah, what what do you think? Like, is have you got your agency found yet? Are you still in no, the process? No, so we're still looking for an agency, um, but we – always want to try and learn as much about it as we can ourselves. Yep. Um, probably Smart. we're in a small business and we have that luxury of still having time on our hands. Like we're only capital intensive with our time kind of when we're distilling and then we've got a bit more leeway where we can work out, okay, what is the best move going forward and speak to people. Everything's referral. Like our graphic designer, I went to school with her and she's amazing and she does like so much of our stuff and, you know, it always inspires me. I make a different Pinterest board literally every month yeah. and I've labelled it a different month of what I think is cool and like what's 
trendy but then what's still going to pay tribute to the culture and the tradition in the right way. So it's really just like a growing experience at the moment and working out what our next steps are going to be in terms of that. But yeah, like we do want to do a Facebook ad campaign but it'll probably be about merch not about alcohol at all interesting and things like that it's tricky yeah and what about tiktok are you guys even able to make content on tiktok i just don't know you you can can. yeah so there's a tiktok's a little bit more leeway like anything goes sort of platform um but we want to be careful about what we put out there and i'm probably a little bit too obsessed with the quality of what i put out there Whereas my cousin's like, who cares? Just make it and post it and like, we'll see what happens. And I'm like, no, everything I want to touch has to be like perfect in my eyes, which I probably need to let go of a little bit, but I'm learning. Like if you can have that and still put out the the volume of content you need, then great. But yeah. if you can't, because TikTok, especially for you guys, is such a cool story and such cool branding. Like obviously it might not drive conversion off the first video, but the amount of brand awareness you'll be able to get if you really pump TikTok, yeah. like it could blow you guys up really quick. But just then at that point, can you keep up with the demand in terms of distilling? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. Well, we each, um, last batch we did was 40,000 liters of wine wow. and no 20,000. And we spoke to a friend of ours in the industry and she's like, I only do 40,000 liters of wine each year. So we're fast approaching. Wow. Already and she's quite, doing yeah. really good numbers. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get there definitely. But yeah. One day at a time. Yeah. And so what is this like, you can only distill once a year, you said, and you have to have enough stock for the whole year. Yeah. So you can like kind of spread out your wine orders, but it's when the grapes are ready and everyone always goes, oh, so when, when's the next batch going to be ready? Like last year it was raining so much this year, sorry, the grapes weren't ready until May. So we couldn't distill until May. Whereas the year before that, which was our first ever batch, I think we distilled in like June, but that was because even though the grapes were ready in March. It just depends on the weather and that's the craziest part you don't know, which we've all documented on our website, like Mm. to make sure people really understand there's a reason sometimes it's later. We were sold out for a lot longer than we Mm. wanted to be, which is why the pear came into play. But, um, yeah. Ah, yeah. Smart. If you have have pears and plum, it's like different seasons and you can sell different products. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But hopefully we'll be, we won't have that same problem now. That's why we upped our order quantity so much and Yeah. yeah. Exciting. So We're what, like, sell out. <laughs> where, where do you want to take the brand? Like, what is that, what is that vision? How big do you want to, how big do you want to grow it? Where do you want to, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited be, to know more. We'd love to be international, but obviously that comes with a lot more licensing processes and export alcohol is not easy. Um, but yeah, just actually having people think about like ordering a Rakia when they're out the way they order a gin or a vodka or a bourbon or whatever it is. We, there's no reason they shouldn't order Rakia and there's so much more cultural connection to that here, especially in Western Sydney, yeah. Southwest Sydney that people have. So why shouldn't it be the drink of choice? Um, we really just want to build the brand and build the narrative to the point where everyone recognizes it and they have that affinity. They have that connection to it. Have, um, have you looked at like your wholesale and retail avenue yet? Is that something you have for the future? Yeah, definitely. So we've still got, we've got a few bottle shops and restaurants and things like that, that we've built out ourselves. And we want to be able to control that custom base as much as possible and make sure that we're providing the best service and learning about our customers and their journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And holding on to that for as long as possible before we go into a Dan Murphy's or something like that, where you just become a number on the shelf essentially. And yeah, then onwards and upwards from there. Mm. 
And e-com, like, do you still drive most of your sales to your own website rather Definitely. than those other channels? Yeah. 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 So our website is our bread and butter. And that's where everything kind of comes out of at the moment. We get to be able to – we've had people, you know, respond to us directly on there and ask us questions and things like that. And it's just really nice to be able to be immersed in that customer experience still at this stage. Um, obviously, I know that it will get too big and things will change. But for now – yeah, definitely. Yeah. And is a lot of your customer base from Western Sydney, I imagine? Um, actually all over, like yeah. Victoria, we've had a few orders from Perth and things like that, which is really cool because mm. when you see it come up on your phone, like the Shopify mm. app, you're like, oh, where do you live? <laughs> um, so yeah, all over, but definitely we are actually stocked in Reevesby and there is so much that goes through that store. Really? Yeah. And how do you like approach new retailers? It's always a question that people like to hear about. What's your process for getting stocked in inside a new retailer? Yeah, definitely. So we actually were on the Macedonian radio, which was oh, cool. way out of my depth. But <laughs> do you we speak did good Maso? I do, but not when someone's asking me about a distillation process. <laughs> that really went over my head. Like, I've never thought about these words in Macedonian yeah, before. Yeah, mm. I wasn't good. I buckled, but that's okay. <laughs> the grandmas, you know, they forgave me. Mm. Um, but a lot of people ended up calling him afterwards and being like, do you stock this? Really? Because it was yeah, like epic. the Bankstown radio. Um, and then we were, it was a warm welcome after that sort of thing. He was like, oh, everyone's asking me about you guys. But honestly, showing face, messaging people, sending them emails, sending them a pitch deck, sending like we've got 50 million different pitch decks for mm. whoever it might need it and might need to see it. Um, but people, yeah, just responsive to cold calls as well and just be kind and make sure that you know exactly what you're saying. And if you don't, apologise and, you know, be human. Everyone's human at the end of the day and makes mistakes. So, yeah, it goes a long way to actually have a conversation and what do they say, seven points of contact before you make a sale? Yeah. Definitely. It reminds me a little bit of um, someone we had on the podcast, Raquel. It's obviously a different product, but she, like, do you know, have you heard of Hulu, yeah. Hulu's Elijah? Like, yeah created their own custom product, started really small and fast forward a few years and they're absolutely killing it now. But she said the same thing, just like going in to meet people, being really friendly, being really honest and open with the product. And like, if the product is that good, eventually it'll sell itself. Yeah, um, definitely. How do, how do people go? Like, are you guys ever planning to open like a cellar door so people yeah. can do tastings and stuff in the future? What's the... Definitely. So at the moment, our liquor license isn't 100% zoned for that. Mm -hmm. um, so we're working on that sort of thing. But we want to make sure that what we do open is always up to scratch as well. So we want it to be a beautiful bar that makes you feel like you are at home and that, you know, you can kind of engage with those same imagery and feel that same experience, be able to really have a strong staff that can educate and have people try it properly and be able to taste it and, you know, work through their own palate and have that sort of educational piece with that and then serve it in some cocktails and mm. whatever else. I've so, never had yeah. like it with a cocktail. Yeah. I imagine it would be really good. It is. It is really mm. good. You have to make a whiskey sour out of that. Yeah. It's really good. I saw the recipes on your website. I'm like, I've never thought about doing this with Rakia, yeah. but I'll have to try it. And what about the partnership with Bubba's Place? How did that, how did that, obviously it, yeah. Well, it makes a lot of sense, but how did that come? Yeah, um, they actually DM'd us on Instagram in our early days and probably a little bit before we were ready. Yeah. But, you know, you never say no. And then we went and met the boys and, like, introduced ourselves and they've just kind of been a really steady client of ours since and customer. Mm. Um, they serve only our Akia there, obviously some wines and things like that, mm. but we're their house spirit. And it's just been a great partnership and sort of friendship that's grown and you know we've now actually launched a ducky and a can it's coming out in yeah. next week 
with that. That was the cool thing you sent, right? Yeah. The, uh, I love I, I love all your branding and the stuff you come up with. It's really, it's really what's it? It's hot in the suburbs. Yeah. Or, so what? that was more them. Like we all kind of went through that together. Yeah. But yeah, it's hot in the suburbs. So the fact that it gets hotter out west and yeah. that's where we're all from mm. and that's where our grandparents grew up, like Greenacre, Bankstown, that sort of thing. Shout out Yui over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sick. So a couple last questions and we'll wrap it up. But I want to know, we spoke about family a lot and, and working with James. What's your one piece of advice that you'd give to someone that's in business with their family or thinking about getting into business with family? Because like you said, it is going to be a unique challenge in terms of communication. It can be more yeah. heated at times. It can be whatever. But what's what would your advice be? Um, I was really lucky in the sense that we weren't actually that close before we started working together. So I never felt like I had to censor myself when it came to him. I always told him the truth and exactly what I thought and same with him. There was enough respect there to not want to offend the other person, but you weren't scared to give your feedback if you really hated something. So my advice would be stick to your guns if it really means a lot to you, but the end goal and your end vision has to be the same. And if you guys can agree on that, then everything's going to be smooth sailing because ultimately your ego gets put to the side. It's got nothing to do with your ego. It's all to do with the business and what you want that to achieve. And, and what inspires you so much to make this, you know, like let's a mainstream thing to make Rakia known and what, what inspires you to do all that? To leave a mark really and to make sure that Rakia leaves a mark on the world. Like I, that branding, everything that you see is so much of us so much of who we are on the day-to-day, the way that the tone of voice is, the way everything's written out. So when someone says, I love your branding, I'm like, it's so pretty things. <laughs> like, that's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just to make sure that we leave our mark in the best way and to really build something and have it evolve and grow in it's your baby at the end of the day. Well, like I said, I, I really love what you guys have done with the brand so far. And I know it's only the start, but as someone, like I said, that's grown up around the Macedonian culture and the culture of all the Balkans. Um, I was keen to have you guys on because I really do see this becoming a massive, massive brand. And I know you've had success already, but I wanted to have a chat about how you got to where you are. Um, I love the brand. I'll be a supporter and a consumer. I don't drink as much <laughs> as I used to back in the days when we were partying, but I will make sure I gift it to some of my uh, friends for their birthdays as well because that'll be exciting and I love to see that. Um, but what's 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 immediately next for you guys and where can people find you if they're interested? Yeah, so definitely on our website and our Instagram, our socials. It's all dnadistillery.com um, if it's the website, otherwise just Insta. And, yeah, what's next is probably a plum very, very soon, the cans and rakia in a can in general, being able to really educate people through that, giving them something that they already like and being like, oh, this is rakia, this is something different. It's going to be a really nice sort of easy in for us. And yeah, rather than going straight for the hard for stuff. For the bottle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what's um what's it mixed with in the can? In that one is rakia and tonic. So, so is it like bin, a gin and tonic yeah, kind of comparable? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bin the gin and tonic. Yeah, bin the, the gin and tonic. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think I think that's it. But maybe we'll have you on again when it's a mega brand in the next couple of years. <laughs> but honestly, I love it. Um, if you're into branding or thinking about ideas for how to brand, I think you guys are genuinely have done a really good job with obviously the visual branding, but the tone of voice, how you've all tied it together. I think you've done it in a really effective and classy way with like that has the old, the heritage there, but also that really works in a modern world talking through social media. So congratulations on, on how, so how far you've come so far. And I'm excited to see thank where you, you and James take it in the next, next couple of years. Thank you. And thank you for having us on. It means the world to no us. No worries. Thanks. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or you got something out of it, do yourself a favor, do me a favor, do your friends a favor and share this with them and they can come along on this journey with us. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time.